Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode of Not Another Mummy podcast is brought to you by Jim Mondo. I don't know about you, but between children, daily commitments, and life admin... Finding the time for working out is no walk in the park. What's more, gyms can be intimidating and they just don't work for everyone. So if gyms aren't your cup of tea, join the growing list of people cancelling their gym memberships in favour of working out at home with Gym Mondo. Gym Mondo is an online fitness and wellbeing platform with hundreds of 20 to 30 minute workouts and training programmes ranging from HIIT and yoga to dance and meditation, plus over a thousand healthy recipes. Aside from the freedom and flexibility Jim Mondo offers, exercising at home is fun, saves you money, fits perfectly into your lifestyle and helps you stick at your fitness goals. So start a 14-day free trial and save 50% on your annual membership by visiting jimmondo.com, that's G-Y-M-O-N-D-O.com and entering the code MUMMYPODCAST. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast with me, Alison Perry. My guest today has gone from being a midwife to a fashion blogger and she uses her online platform to discuss body image, confidence, shame and so much more. Now, Natalie Lee, aka Style Me Sunday, has written her first book, Feeling Myself, which is a memoir about her experiences around sex and shame. In the book, Nat takes the reader along for the ride on her journey of self-discovery, searching out and then smashing some of the most powerful taboos around shame, sex and socialised sexism, which have held her back and which she thinks have probably held you back too. So here's Nat telling us all about her mission to encourage us to shed the shame. Natalie, a warm welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing and what has your week been like so far? Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am doing good. I have had a great week. This is uh, second podcast of the week, which is going well. Um, yeah, I love I love doing this. So thank you for having me. Good. You're not podcasted out. I hope. I hope you've got some. You've got some good chats. I have. I'm not. Not yet. I'm not. There will come a time. <laughs> Give it a few weeks because we've got a few weeks yet until your book is um, is published. So you might by the end of it, you might be a bit like, no more podcasts. Exactly. I'm done. Exactly. But <laughs> do you know what? I've been wanting to like 
have my voice and and speak about this about the book for so long that I need to really revel and appreciate and be grateful for this opportunity it's it it will get yeah. a bit hard it will get tedious but this is such a good opportunity and I really don't want to lose sight of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's hard in most things, isn't it? You know, things that are long, kind of longed for and wanted for a long time. Um, it's it's quite hard sometimes to keep that perspective when things get a bit knackering or a bit, you know, a bit full on. Yeah. But yeah, it's good. So we've known each other for a long time, haven't we? Back when everyone was blogging rather than posting on Instagram or TikTok, and I guess that the themes that you discuss with your audience and your community has changed quite a bit over the years, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think personally, I think that's quite natural. Definitely for me, because I think you just grow and you change and you're into different things. And the worst thing I can ever do is restrict myself and contain myself to only one box because then... I get really bored and I get really angry about being like just the one lane. And yeah, I definitely wouldn't have kept doing it if I was only talking about fashion, which is where I started. Because that does like, sometimes I still love fashion. That will always be my like home place. But it can get a bit boring sometimes. Sometimes I want to go really deep and I really, you know, I want to talk about things that are really important. So, yeah. It's funny though, isn't it? Because even as, you know, you are a consumer of media and social media. I am a consumer of all of that. And so as consumers, we want a bit of different stuff. Like I follow someone, you know, and they might be talking about fashion, but I'm still interested in what they've got to say about different issues and different, you know, life things they're going through. Like we're all multifaceted people, aren't we? It's it's kind of, it's, it is a bit weird that for so long, so many people are like, no, 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 this is my thing. Like these are my, these are my pillars. This is what I'm doing. And that's not really reflective of life, is it? No, absolutely not. And do you know what? I used to beat myself up about not being able to stick to one topic because, you know, in terms of like branding and marketing, they always tell you, right, you've got to find your niche. You've got to stay in this. Like people need... Have your content pillars. Yeah, people need to know who to come to and who's the expert to go to on this subject. And I've tried to do it for so long, but what I've realised is that that's never going to be me. I am going to talk about a range of things. I'm not also not a planner. I don't strategize my social media. Um, so I just go with the flow and that's what keeps me interested and invested in this platform. The, you know, I'm also like trying to work out TikTok at the moment. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> That's, and, and you know what, though? It's actually so, it actually feels a little bit like it did when I first started trying to work out Instagram. It's a bit like, oh, oh, this is fascinating. <laughs> it's a bit daunting, though, isn't it? Because it's like this whole new world and a whole new language that people are talking in. And you've got to kind of, 
you've got to get immerse yourself and work out is this somewhere that I'm okay do I want to be here yeah it it is it is intriguing I think is probably a good way of putting it it is a different platform to Instagram and you get different content and like my head is still like working out what's actually going on and I'm a bit like oh oh I didn't know that was (laughs) yeah it's good I like it yeah and also like the rules are a bit seemed a bit more sort of free and easy on TikTok which is very different because Instagram it's like no no you're told you've got a algorithm and you've got to post at certain times of the day and you've got to do this and uh, and TikTok's just a bit like just do what you want just you know post six times a day if you want to and it's like whoa okay I know I was like (laughs) what you can like upload six six videos at the same time and they're all do differently that was mad yeah yeah yeah. So, you know, it's a learning process. We're all learning, aren't we? It's good. It's good. So something that you do talk a lot about, um, and it is a subject of your book, is sex and shame. Um, and shame has been used for centuries to control people, hasn't it? Yeah, it absolutely has. And I think for me personally, I felt shame before I was even born. I felt shame because of the colour of my skin. I felt shame for my sex I felt shame has always been an intrinsic part of me and I didn't really realize it until I really started to unpack all the shit and dig a little bit deeper I have I have had a lot of therapy um and just Oh, I hate to say journey, but I'm gonna I can't find another word that's better. It's the only word that adequately describes what you've experienced, Nat. Honestly. I I've I've been through that same process of like I keep saying journey, like when I'm thinking of questions I want to ask her, and it just sounds really cheesy. Yeah. But it it works. Exactly. Um so yeah, I've been on this big journey, very healing, very painful, very traumatic, but ultimately very freeing. So that's been great and hard and brutal. So tell us about that journey because you 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 talk through it in in your book, um, and it's it's been about you, I guess, exploring, you know, I guess the trauma that you've experienced and how that has affected you and your entire life since. Um, and your feelings about sex, about your body, about confidence, about you know, your relationships. Like there probably isn't a part of your life that this hasn't touched, is there? The trauma or shame? Both, I guess. I mean, they're, they're interlinked, aren't yeah. they? I mean, you, yeah. you tell me. Yeah, they are. I think our experiences make us. I think um, when you do have a traumatic experience in childhood, I guess that is the foundation that everything then builds upon. And the foundation is very shaky and unstable. And I know that I didn't, I I struggled to belong. I struggled to have any sort of sense of identity. I struggled with so many things. And I guess that is because, you know, the role models I had in my life were also dealing with a lot of shit too. So I didn't have that stable and emotionally available figure around me to help me navigate these really strong feelings and emotions. 
And, you know, when you're unable to talk about things, especially a trauma with a capital T, you inherently, as a child, think it's your fault. So, you know, yeah, I mean, I, it has infiltrated my life in every single way imaginable. So we should explain that, that you were you were a victim of a trauma when you were around four. Um, and so that's that's what we're talking about. And you do you do talk about it in in detail in, in the book, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I do. And yeah, as I said, that that has just affected me my whole life. And you know, it will resonate unfortunately with a lot of people, there's so many of us have had traumatic experiences when we were younger. And how do you think that has fed into the shame that, you know, that, that you feel about so many aspects in your life? Well, I think, I think the fact that I had people around me who were dealing with, the, with trauma too, who were emotionally unavailable, unable to unable to give space to my feelings and emotions as a kid often when we're children we can get quite dismissed because adult stuff feels very big and heavy and children you know oh they get over it children are adaptable children you know are resilient and if if you don't allow them to have their emotions and to talk about something in a safe space then a child will only will only internalize that and then think that it's their fault and i think that's the issue so many children have had so many adults as children have had things happen to them have experienced things that weren't their fault and because they haven't been able to have an outlet for the really big emotions they have they have thought that they were responsible for it. They have thought that they somehow, you know, made this happen. And that's a real, that's a real thing. That's a real struggle to, um, to untangle and to get rid of. Yeah. And that's, that's why so many people need therapy, isn't it? Because that is such a big, huge thing to even start untangling. It's impossible to do without that professional help, isn't it, for so many? I don't know if it's impossible. I'm, I'm not sure about that because therapy is, is, is a privilege, you know. Not everyone can access it. So I don't think it is, you know, I don't think only people who can afford therapy are going to heal from it because there's a lot of things you can do on your own. You know, there's a lot of books you can read that help you understand how to deal with trauma there's podcasts there's lots of like the internet you know you can do so much and yeah I don't I I don't think you do just need therapy to deal with it there, there are other ways journaling has helped me hugely also I don't think it was only therapy that helped me heal you know obviously I haven't I'm not fully healed there's still a lot of shit it's a process yeah, there's a lot of shit to get through <laughs> Um, but I do feel, I do feel that that's like one component of it. Their meditation has helped me hugely. Um, learning about the nervous system 
and how, you know, just by doing breath work, that has been quite transformational for me. Using my breath to settle down my nervous system. Um, Yeah, that I would say is probably one of the key things. I learn now to take a breath before reacting. I learn that if I am triggered or in a trauma response, that I can use my breath to get me back into a more calm level state. That's such a powerful tool to have. I mean, that's that's pretty... And I guess you can argue that all of these things that you're talking about are forms of therapies. You know, it's not just about paying an expensive psych- psychotherapist or whoever to talk to you for an hour. All of this are different, they're different forms of therapy, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and we're very lucky that, you know, in 2022, we have all of this available and we have all of this knowledge and people are sharing this knowledge. And I guess this is something that you are doing yourself with your book and with the, you know, the conversations that you're having online. Um, what was it about, I mean, you've, you've got your platform, you're talking about fashion and about life. Um, what was it that made you think, actually, this is something that I really want to, you know, I want to be supporting other people in this and helping them and talking about this? I think, you know, the thing about shame is, is that it's it stays in the dark. It's like that really, it's like a little gremlin, right, that is in the corner of your room looking at you and affecting every single move that you make and you're just trying to ignore it. You're just pretending it doesn't exist, that it's not there. And I think my thing is if I talk about the shit that's really hard to talk about, it shines a light on that shame. It brings it into into the light and it, it frees me up. It just frees me up. It's like, I see you. You're there. I'm going to talk to you. I'm not going to hide away from you. I'm going to face you. And I think sometimes we imagine that it's going to be a lot bigger, a lot scarier, a lot more difficult than it is. And I'm not saying it isn't going to be painful because it is. Facing any sort of painful experience even lots of little experiences. You know, trauma doesn't have to be a capital T. It can be, you know, crosswords said. It can be emotional neglect. You don't even realise that you can't connect with people because you, you haven't had a parent who is emotionally available. You know, there's lots of little things. But, yeah, if you... I found that if I talk about my stuff online it helps me out because I don't feel ashamed about it anymore I'm like you can't attack me you can't be that gremlin on my shoulder anymore because I'm talking about you you're here you're like you can't be used against me in the future so so that kind of like enables other people, I think. It has that kind of dom- domino effect to think, oh, actually, you know what? I'm going to face it. I'm going to, or or just to think that, okay, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. 
And yeah, so it is a bit it, it is a bit selfish because I'm helping myself, but I'm also doing it. And it's helping other people as a byproduct. It's definitely not selfish, that I can tell you that. I mean, just just because you're benefiting from it too, doesn't mean that it's selfish. Um, but let's get to the nitty gritty of it. Um, why do you think that um, shame has surrounded sex for such a long time as it has, and as it still as it still does? Well, I think you opened up at the beginning was saying that it was a form of control it has always been a form of control I think religion has a huge amount to do with it and you know women it, it's a great way to control women if you police I mean, it's genius right yeah. it's genius <laughs> it's like if you control how women have sex who they have sex with when they have sex you know you control all how of- they feel how they feel about yeah. sex how they feel about themselves what sex and having sex says to other people about them like their their image exactly all the whole shebang everything every single little facet is controlled so you've got the control over us haven't you and you know it dates back so long ago you know they're there wasn't a, I can't remember when, there wasn't a diagram of female sex, sex anatomy or reproductive anatomy for years and years and years later than men's. You know, everything was always about men. Even, even certain, like the uterus, I know that that name is linked to shame and the vagina the origin of that word is to mean it means a sheath over a sword. Oh, <laughs> you're kidding. So so even, you know, back in the whatever ages, yeah. Uh, women have always been seen as something that is useful for men. Yeah. And a threat as well. I mean, I mean, a, a sheath over a sword, that's like you're protecting something that's dangerous, right? I know, listen to the connotations of it. So no wonder, like, we have all this shit to unpack because, you know, the real, the real pioneers of our age had a huge issue with women, like um, Sigmund Freud, like, you know, <laughs> He thought that we were the devil, really. Um, so, yeah. And also, you, you do mention this in the book as well, the fact that the worst possible swear word, the worst word that people quite often refuse to say is another word for a vagina. It's like, just that in itself, I guess, tells you everything you need to know, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. The the female femininity is so weaponized, isn't it? It's like, oh, stop being such a girl. You Even know. this week as well, the, in the in the in the press, we've had the story about um, Angela Rayner, the Labour deputy um, uh, deputy <laughs> party leader. I couldn't think of the Just word. The party leader, <laughs> the Labour politician. Um, you know the the, the news story about her crossing her legs and uncrossing her legs in an attempt to 
distract Boris Johnson <gasps> in the House of Commons. No. And it's like, it's like, you know, you're, you're honestly saying that she's using her femininity as a as a weapon, as a way of, you know, uh, getting one up on, on the opposition. It's just utterly misogynistic. That's ridiculous. And, you know, I've said this before. It's just a fucking body. I am just walking around in my body. If you find my nipples offensive, if you find my cleavage offensive, if you find the length of my skirt offensive, that is not on me. That's on you. You know, yeah. what, why are women so restricted and controlled and demeaned and undermined? It really, as you can tell, makes me very passionate. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> and it happens, but it, but it happens so early. And like, is this something that, you know, as a mum, I have had to really think about and talk to myself about? Because I remember when my eldest, who's now 11, when she was about seven, she wanted to wear crop tops. My instinct was like, no, 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 you can't wear crop tops. No, no, no. And it was only when I really thought about it and spoke to some friends, I was like, actually, that's really bad that I am telling her because I'm kind of buy into that whole, well, no, if you wear a crop top, you're showing your body and that, you know, the male gaze might be, you know, hitting your body and blah, blah, blah. I know, (laughs) but we go through this process as parents. I was exactly the same. You know, when um, my daughter, I remember one of the teachers said to me about my daughter rolling her skirt up and I was like, well, that they do that, don't they? Like, is it affecting her education? Yeah, it's just normal. And hold on, have you spoken to the boys about this? You know, I just feel like women are so policed, aren't they? It's it's really difficult. Mm. And you know, we are given a script. We're given stories. We are the foot soldiers of misogyny. Misogyny. You know, we don't even realize what shit we are bringing to the table too because of everything. And I'm just thinking, you know, we have to question every single thing we think and are told and have been told because it ain't real. Like we're, you know, for example, getting married, having a kid, like we're told that that's the goal. Well, who said? Who knows if monogamy is the right way to have a relationship? Who says that that's the right way? Like, we need to get back to 
the soul, to our own soul. Without sounding too spiritual, I know that sounds a bit woo-woo, but we do need to reconnect with our inner selves because we've been given this script that we had no say in. And we need to we need to question it. We need to not just blindly follow the path of the script that we've been given. Yep, absolutely. Um, now, when it comes to being a parent, how do you talk to your kids about sex? Because it's often dealt with in a very biological way, isn't it? Um, you know, like these are the sexual organs. Like they'll see that diagram that you talked about that didn't exist for a long time. Um, you know, this is what happens in puberty. This is how babies are made. Um, is that the way that you approach things or do you do things a bit differently? I mean, I, look, I've, I've come again, I'm going to say it again, I've come on a long journey with this whole discussion. Um, we should have a drinking game. Every time Nat says journey, <laughs> take a shot. <laughs> we, first of all, first of all, I want to dismantle what we term as sex is. I think it's, it, it's been very heterosexual focused. It's very much about penis and vagina kind of sex that you're not. And it's about a... penetration as well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I'm, you know, it's, I'm just unpacking it all. And basically the way I talk to my children about it is I talk, uh, talk about it like it is like having a cup of tea, it's, you know, I feel like it should be talked about whenever it comes up. I really have really worked hard on trying to get past my shame and my upbringing. And I was brought up in a Catholic, like Catholic household and, and schools and stuff. And just, just be a bit more open and far less judgmental. And, you know, we talk about masturbation a lot, which is also for me sex. We I I talk to them about naming parts, the right names, and where are they? And you know, and obviously I do definitely talk about consent and emotions and things like that because the educational side of it is very biological, the stuff you get in schools. So I think it's our responsibility to make sure that the emotional side doesn't get neglected. So when I, I just try not to shy away from it. I just try really hard. If something comes up on TV, I don't turn the television off. I say, let's talk about it. What, you know, how are you feeling about this? Let's bring it, let's not run away let's not turn a telly off let's not put our hands over our faces <laughs> yeah and are they okay with that because I know that you know even if like you know two people are kissing on the tv my 11 year old is like getting really embarrassed um and I think if I was you know at the dinner table bringing up masturbation or whatever she'd be like mom shut up which again that's that shame coming into it isn't it like this is you know this is a subject that we shouldn't be talking about it's embarrassing it's that's hard to get past, I think. Look, what I have learned to, to, to just be okay with is that you are going to embarrass and cringe out your kids all the time. It doesn't even have to be about sex. They are constantly going, oh, mom, will you stop? <laughs> like, and I'm actually not even doing anything. I'm just asking them, will, 
what do you want for breakfast or will you go and brush your teeth? So <laughs> I'm okay with embarrassing them. They do get embarrassed, but you know what? I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have for me not to back down just because my kids are embarrassed about it. Because one day it might be useful. Oh, one day it is going to be fucking useful. I know that for sure. And also I think that so often when, you know, parents are talking to their tweens or teens about sex, it's almost done in quite a sort of scaremongering way. Like partly it's a, it's a way of, you know, we, we say, you know, sex is to how you make babies. So it's like it's a functional thing. And until you want to be having babies, You've got no reason to be having it. But also there is that kind of thing, you know, saying, you know, about teenage pregnancies and yeah, like, you know, putting the fear into them that if you have sex, bad things could happen or STIs, you know, all of that. Absolutely. You know what? I was actually thinking about this the other day and I was thinking I would actually really love it to be renamed as pleasure education (laughs) fuck the sex education let's talk about pleasure let's talk about your own pleasure let's talk about pleasure with somebody else let's talk about the risks of having your pleasure you know there's so many ways that you can talk about it but the way we're doing it at the moment doesn't feel very inclusive doesn't feel like you know that as you say, it's scaremongering. There's so much fear around it. But actually, it's such a beautiful thing. Like, let's teach boys where the fucking clitoris is. It's very fucking important. And it's not hard. It's you not know. hard. But also, let's teach girls where their clitoris is. Let's, let's, let's empower girls to know that it's not shameful to touch yourself. It's not shameful... It's actually free, it's actually really safe and it's actually far less traumatic if you learn how your, what your body likes through your own hands rather than somebody else. So let's have those discussions and if we reframe it that we're talking about pleasure education, that just feels a little bit more welcoming yeah. in my in my view. I can see that campaign now, Nat. You're going to start the campaign. I am. Gonna, I should write that. in touch that. with the Department for Education um that's your next that's your next thing that's my next thing um there's this notion though isn't there that women and actually especially mothers um should be on this kind of like holy pedestal isn't there like be a good mum and thinking about sexual pleasure those things cannot coexist it needs to be one or the other it's that madonna hall complex huh yes yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> We both know we it. need to get we, we need to ditch that, don't we? We need to move past that. We really do. We really do. And as you said, like we're multifaceted people. We can be mothers and we can be sexy. And and why do we feel like once you're a mother, you can't talk about sex or or be sexy or even admit that you enjoy sex? It's it's ridiculous. And obviously, you know that I like to present myself half naked on Instagram a fair bit. (laughs) Which I think is such a wonderful thing to do. Like, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that I think it's been such a benefit to so many women, how there's been this progression on social media, but especially Instagram over the last, I would say, five years or so, 
we're seeing, you know, different bodies yeah. and, you know, stretch marks and scars and lumps and bumps. And it's it's reality. It's not this kind of airbrushed perfection that for so long was the only thing that we were seeing. Exactly. You know, one of the kind of storylines that I hope to encourage is that there's not only one type of way to be sexy. You don't have to be slim or white or have a smooth smooth skin and uh abs to be sexy you know we all enjoy sex not all of us enjoy sex but a lot of us enjoy sex and and it it, it we come in so many different shapes and sizes and and abilities and colors and everything else it's just like let's not homogenize what sexy is it's just we have to open it up and be be aware that it's not just for one type of person. And that, yeah, and that hopefully sort of just helps people feel a lot better because so many of us feel excluded from the sexy conversation or the sexy representation. And that's not fucking fair. I'm sorry, it's really not. It really isn't. I love in the book you talk about um, something that uh, Cherry Healy has said to you about sex being, remind me what it was something to do with like sex being like this ocean and that so many of us just dip our toes in and have a little paddle rather than diving deep down into the ocean. I don't. Does that ring any bells? Yeah, but she loves a fucking analogy. So it's really hard to remember <laughs> because she often talks about a buffet. And and I don't know whether that made it into the final edit or not. Was it a buffet or was it an ocean? It was some something. I don't know. But yeah, I think you're right. It was an ocean. Um, but what was she? Well, I can't remember what that was in reference to. She she was saying that most people just sort of like dip their toes in, and actually, what she has done in more recent years is she has you know taken a dive, a deep, dive. deep into the ocean, <laughs> a deep dive into that ocean of sex. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. What what what's the question? <laughs> it wasn't really a question, I guess. It was just me. It was just me reflecting on what you were saying, and it reminded me of this quote from Cherry. Oh, right. So, but there's so there's so much in your book that is you know like lovely little nuggets like that, little analogies that just make you think and like, oh yeah, that's brilliant. But one thing you have discovered in your journey, your journey there is again. <laughs> um, was that you are attracted to women. You you spent a lot of your life thinking that you were completely straight, haven't you? Yeah, I think it just goes down to that. Like, I didn't think there was any other option, really. You know, heterosexuality is presumed, presumed. And as Cherry Healy would say, there's a whole buffet out there. Like, <laughs> why are you going to restrict me to only one section of the buffet? I want it all. Um, so it was really, it was really enlightening, sort of like, just, just being able to go, actually, am I heterosexual? Or do I like women as well? And the answer was, yes, I do. I've always known that I fancy women but they were just never a what not viable option but never like a 
a serious option. Do you know what I mean? Because they couldn't provide me the, even the words I'm using are, are annoying me, but they couldn't provide me with the stability or the kind of life that I thought I needed or wanted. So they were just off the table, off the buffet table. And, and now they're back on the buffet table. And now I'm <laughs> reveling in the whole buffet. <laughs> uh, um, and, and again, do you have conversations about that with your kids? Like, you know, obviously they're aware that you and their dad are no longer together. Um, what, what was that like? What sort of impact did that have on, on your family? Yeah, again, we speak about it often. Uh, I talk to them about dating both men and women, sometimes show them pictures of who, like whether they think that, you know, that's a nice person and I should like them or have a conversation. And I've asked them about their feelings um, towards other people um, and haven't assumed that they are heterosexual. So again, it's just that everyday little conversations, um, not assuming things, leaving the floor very, very open and, and being honest, you know, just being honest. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to feel ashamed of. It's like, oh, like I date women, I date men, I date anything in between. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. I would class myself as pansexual now, which means that I'm just attracted to a person rather than their genitals. Um, and I also think that, like, my, my eldest is now in secondary school and the whole sexuality thing seems to be a lot more sort of open and, and kind of just normalised a lot more than it was when I was at school. Yeah. So... So it doesn't feel like it's like a big thing really in our mm. household. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. And at the end of writing the book, you said that you were happily single. Is that still the case now? It is still the case. It is. I am dating, but nothing, nothing serious. I am, I, I don't even know if I would like a relationship. I'm not, and I haven't right quite got, got, the clarity on that yet because I'm really loving the space and the freedom that I have like look I've just I've just decorated my whole front room completely green you you know <laughs> I could never have done it looks I, amazing thank you I couldn't have done that before because I always had to fucking compromise with somebody and one thing I hate to do is compromise. <laughs> so I am, <laughs> I'm really reveling in this singledom. And I also think that being in a relationship, some, you know, we are kind of taught to grow up to aspire to be in a relationship and we are not actually given the, uh, any sort of positive aspects about being single. And actually, I'm finding being single just bloody lovely. I really, really am enjoying myself. There's so much to be said for it. So who knows what's going to happen? I'll just know that I'm not in any rush to meet anyone. That's brilliant. That's so good. So what's next for you? You've said that you're working on a non-profit idea and that you want to help others 
experience sexual healing what's what's kind of what are your ideas what are you working so, on so do you know what you've 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 basically predicted it so it's the kind of turning the sex education idea on its head and um giving something to people that is much more inclusive and and doesn't assume things um I I want to speak, I want, I basically want to re-educate adults so that they can then educate their children and just open up the conversation and rewrite the script. I love it. I love it. That's just brilliant. I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to seeing seeing what you do Nat um, thank you so much for joining me today I've loved talking to you um, your book Feeling Myself yeah. is available what did you think what, 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 tell me what your thoughts are on it you haven't, you haven't said anything I loved it did you I find it yeah I love that it's um, split up into sections so it feels like really like easy to read um, it's totally immersive like I just find myself just one more page just one more page and like I needed to go and cook my my kids dinner and I was like no no no, I just want to finish the chapter um and it's such a lovely mix of like your own experiences but also bringing other people into it and their experiences and experts um yeah loved it that makes me so happy thank you Alison because I really respect your opinion so I'm really, really happy that you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great. But where can we find you online to um, hear more from you, Nat? So, you know, as I said, I'm just dipping my toe into TikTok. So come and find me on TikTok. I'm style underscore me underscore Sunday and style me Sunday on Instagram. Come and find me and let's have a chat. Lovely. Thank you so much, Thank Nat. You. It's been so nice to chat to you today. See you later. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.